Welcome to Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Hello and welcome to Sports Weekly. I'm your host Ayaz Memon. We've got a very packed edition again today. But obviously, it's not a very happy note to start with. Uh, we've we've had the suspension of the Indian Premier League. Just about what it was halfway past the completion. It was 50% of the way played, and then we had. Uh, several breaches in the biosecure bubble. It had to be called off. There was a clamor growing outside of the bubble that the IPL shouldn't be played when there's so much devastation happening across the country. But I think what finally brought about the suspension was the virus. It had penetrated into the biosecure bubble, and not just one. Players emerged from all teams virtually testing positive, and frankly, there was no other choice but to call it off at least for the time being. Uh, we're going to talk about that certainly. First, let me draw in. Mr. Fantastic, who's in the waiting room, he's actually straining to get in. Uh, we're going to talk about the IPL, the F1 and football. So, Mr. Fantastic, are you there? Very much here, yes. Thanks so much for having me over again. And yes, it's not a very happy note to begin on, but safety first, that's the motto we're all living by right now. So, while the IPL is suspended, and that's the key word, it's suspended, it's not over, we don't have a winner. The good news is it'll be back soon, but the when and where is up for discussion and that's what we do here so sri lanka is touted as a host the uae as always is waiting with open arms but the most unlikely of venues at least according to my uninformed sources is england will resume from june 26 is that a possibility well actually it's, it's a serious possibility mr fantastic uh, and i must say that you got your ear to the ground because uh, while uae is the default option and there's been so much debated and discussed whether the edition or the season which was called off should have actually been played there or not. I think it should have. But the point now is that India will be in England from June 2nd. The first assignment is the World Test Championship against New Zealand. India and New Zealand are in the final. After which, there's almost a four-week gap before the five-test series against England begins. And that ends on September the 6th, after which India comes back to India. The South African team is supposed to visit India for some T20 matches, some ODI matches as a build-up to the World T20 which is scheduled in India from October 18th through November 15th. November 15th is the final of that tournament. But obviously, there's lots of things that now have to be considered. One is, the big question is in fact whether the T20 World Cup will also be played in India if the pandemic doesn't relent. So, where do you fit in the IPL now? Now, obviously, the UAE is the default option. Sri Lanka is also being considered. But one of the serious possibilities is England. And I'll tell you why. Because India and New Zealand will be playing the World Test Championship final. So, the players will be there. Even the New Zealand players, after the World Test Championship final, they'll be available for the IPL. The English players were already in England. They will, of course, have to get permission from their board and from their counties, but they are available. Some of the Aussies and South Africans also play in English county cricket, so we'll have to wait and see if they are available or not. It just makes it that much more feasible. And the other reason why it seems more feasible or more practical is because if you push it beyond September 6th and say, hey, we can play it before you know the World T20 starts in India, there are two things. One is the South African cricket board may not see it very happily. And then, of course, the Indian cricket board being so powerful might give a lollipop to South African cricket and say, you know, we can have a bigger series later. So they might agree. 
But what about the other cricket boards whose players are going to play in the IPL? They may not want to let their players get away from preparatory camps for playing in the World T20. So, I mean, it's all loaded with problems. And I think there is this interesting message which has come from Saurav Ganguly, the president of the BCCI, who's virtually ruled out the prospects of playing the remainder of the IPL 2021 season in India. So, obviously, there are other venues that are being discussed far more aggressively than playing in India. But do you think all of these factors are obviously driving this decision of moving the tournament outside of India? You know, if I have to put it really bluntly, Mr. Fantastic, and I don't want to pull my punches here, I think India has not only suffered financial losses because the IPL was suspended, those losses can be made up if the season resumes. But there's been a colossal loss of face because now it has emerged, you know, very clearly without ambiguity that within the BCCI itself, in fact, within the IPL governing council, there were voices which cautioned about playing the season at home. They said, let's play it in the UAE because, you know, information from everywhere in the outside world was very clear that there was a tsunami coming. The second wave was going to hit India. But, you know, the government ignored it and so did the BCCI. The other loss of phase happened because the biosecure bubble was breached quite flagrantly. I mean, two guys were found in, in Delhi at the Arun Jaitley Stadium with false accreditations. And from allegedly or reportedly, they were part of some gang of bookies. You know, so what I hear is also food was being ordered from the outside, etc. Now, all these problems did not exist in a very stringent biosecure bubble in the UAE when the tournament was last played there. Yes, there were players who might test positive because that's the nature of the disease. But the controls were so strict, the standard operating procedures were so strict that it wouldn't spread. Here, you found, I mean, from the support staff of Chennai Super Kings, Mike Hussey, uh, who was also a batting coach, I think he tested positive. You know, I mean, apart from players. So, it, it just became illogically ridiculous for anybody to say that India had done a good job of the biosecure bubble. In fact, it had done a horrendous job uh, as it emerges. And also the refusal to learn from fellow leagues. The ISL carried out its league over six months inside a bio-bubble, whereas the IPL needed to get through 60 days. And there was a blueprint for how to manage a bio-bubble that the ISL had offered the BCCI, which reportedly they refused to follow. I mean, all of these things are great in hindsight. It's also well worth saying that maybe the whole IPL should have just happened in one venue with multiple stadiums. The fact of the matter, like you rightly said, is that we've lost face in the cricketing world. No amount of money power is going to help us necessarily restore that. So let's hope that the powers that be are a bit more pragmatic about the next steps that need to happen for this. Well, absolutely. I think, look, uh, the point is that, yes, there's the example of the ISL, but more than that, there was the example of the IPL 2020. And also, if you want to learn from some other disaster, there was the Pakistan Super League, which is called off midway. And, you know, it's going to be resuming now in June. But they had to call it off because of flagrant violation of the biosecure bubble, even in Pakistan. I mean, ultimately... In the subcontinent, we are part of the same stock. There is no conscious attempt or effort to ensure that calamity does not strike us. I think everybody takes it in a chalta hai attitude and you end up paying a price for it. Absolutely. Meanwhile, there was one stray international series going on in Zimbabwe against Pakistan that they have easily won. 
new stars may have been found but i don't know if the opposition was truly worthy there's only one out of four innings in which zimbabwe managed to cross 200 nonetheless pakistan winning overseas is what the headline really here is yes i mean look at the end of the day you can't decide who your opponents are or how good or bad they are you have to take what comes your way so whether it's india or pakistan or australia playing zimbabwe you know zimbabwe right now is at bootless level in international cricket let's face it they've had their own huge problems as it is the talent pool is small it's not a massive cricket playing country but you know when you look back at the earlier zimbabwe teams there were some fantastic players there and i'm going back right up to 1983 that is the first time i saw the zimbabwe team in the world cup in 1983 obviously they didn't win or they didn't even reach the playoffs but they were a damn good team they beat australia in the first match they were the best fielding team in the tournament they almost caused an upset against india i mean kapil dev bailed india out and then you had the flower brothers and dave houghton and you know and so many high quality players who've emerged from the ranks but right now they're really struggling what is good for pakistan is a they've had an international engagement they hosted zimbabwe at home they played zimbabwe away and a good start for babar azam's career as a captain i think that's something though he made no runs in the test matches strangely the best batsman struggling in both the matches but the others made runs and took wickets and pakistan won both the matches absolutely i know i think there's a case here for a relegation system here so that zimbabwe can be relegated till they are you know truly worthy of the test stage and maybe bring in someone else there's a lot of action in some of the other associate countries as they are called who deserve test status i think that will make things a little more interesting as well given that there is now a title at the end of the whole cycle of four years precisely i think it's a very good point you raised this is something that has been discussed actually even before the world test championship was conceptualized you know this is a debate which has been going on for about well almost two decades if i can remember correctly and you know the idea is that to try and get 12 teams to play test which is not in itself so easy but a relegation system so that or at least to 10 team system and the last two from the top eight go down and the bottom you know if they do well so you know they go up and therefore there is an incentive for the lower ranked teams to not you know kind of say nothing can be done so let us be where we are as we are and depend on crumbs but over here the big role has to be played by the icc and other cricket boards i'll just give an example and it has nothing to do with zimbabwe right now australia again called off a series i mean australia and bangladesh bangladesh have never played in australia and they've been playing international cricket for about 20 years now so unless other member countries are also willing to play host it's not going to be easy for these countries to improve yes for cricket reasons and geopolitical reasons we hosted afghanistan for their first ever test match a couple of years back as you might remember but how many countries are willing to host afghanistan or zimbabwe or bangladesh these are not countries which provide opportunities for monetization they are not uh, where you can make money from but they can give a boost to the game so this is something that member countries need to you know look for how to promote and preserve the game and take it forward and i think in this india should be taking a lead because not only is it the richest cricket board in the world but if it also wants to be the most influential then it can't restrict its engagements to the top 4 or 5 teams because otherwise then might as well not have the other teams absolutely and speaking of global parity there are other sports that have somewhat managed to achieve that allow me ayaz to invite on your show 
a new guest speaker, Somil Arora, who is the host of the Inside Line Formula One podcast, probably a bigger fanatic about some sports than I am. And that's exactly why we invited him to find out who's a bigger fanatic. So welcome to the show, Somil. Welcome, Somil. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ayaz. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. It's going to be a fun day today. So many sports to talk about. I think it's going to be good fun. Super. Let's kick off things with the Spanish Grand Prix. I remember having your co-host on the show last week and asking him uh, whether Hamilton is beatable this year. And he said yes. But, well, we saw again yesterday that he's not. What's happening there? It's very interesting. Yesterday, I think both Red Bull and Mercedes were very much matched on pace. But where Mercedes got the edge with Hamilton is that they caught Red Bull off guard. Many say that this race was literally a carbon copy of Hungary 2019. But what happened was that Red Bull backed their strategy all the way through. But Mercedes thought, okay, well, what if we go for softer tyres at the end? What if we just take the hit in terms of time and then fight back on fresher rubber and catch Verstappen? Exactly what happened here. Red Bull Racing went for the one-stop with Max Verstappen, but Mercedes, it seemed like they would also go for the one-stop, but midway through, they switched to a two-stopper, which was always planned, by the way, and eventually ended up getting the win, with Hamilton passing Verstappen six laps before the end. And it was crazy, because Red Bull could have reacted, you know. Red Bull could have gone there and said, right, let's cover this off. It's a defensive move, we know. But still, let's try and make sure that Verstappen's chances of winning are the best. But that did not happen. Hamilton clearly outclassed both Verstappen and his teammate Valtteri Bottas. And what is it now? 97 wins for Lewis? And even 100 pole positions, by the way. The first driver in Formula 1 history to take 100 pole positions in qualifying. That, it's outrageous. He's, he's a sporting legend. Okay, I mean, no disrespect to him and his achievements, but uh, is he really driving in the most competitive era where it's not a case of tyres or pit stops or regulation that's really pushing forward? You've got a good point. But if you look at history all the way through as well, even Michael Schumacher barely had any competition for many years. We had the McLarens barely challenging for the last few years of his domination. And then, of course, they were trounced on by Renault. So I think, I think yes, all the way through in Formula 1, the competition on the track has not always been so intense. It's always usually been from teammates, like if you think from the McLaren era of dominance, or maybe even the time that Lotus had back in the day. So I wouldn't say that it's under-competitive, the field. It's just that Mercedes and Hamilton are a very well-oiled winning machine. And that's what they proved last time out as well in Spain. And even in Portugal, by the way, where they, they had the raw pace on Red Bull, but again, on the strategic side as well, they just trounced them. Speaking of team orders, how much do you think team orders played a role in Hamilton winning in Spain? Uh, very little. But there was a moment of drama where Valtteri Bottas was on a different strategy to Lewis and Lewis just had to get past him. Now, what happened was that Bottas usually moves out of the way. Very, He's usually more docile in a situation like this one. But, but for some reason, Bottas showed some unnecessary aggression against his own Mercedes teammate. And people were wondering, hey, Valtteri, that's, that's not the right thing to do, mate. I think you should let him go. And Hamilton had to force a move on his teammate, which usually should never even happen, right, when you're on a different strategy. So that's what happened. And eventually it was just a minor distraction on the way. But Hamilton still got the win by a big, big margin. So there will be a debrief going on at Mercedes right now where they'll be saying, Valtteri, th this was unnecessary, man. And perhaps it could just fuel the argument to get George Russell into the car sooner. Hmm. Well, let's hope the next few races are more competitive because this was a season that was really shaping up nicely. Hmm. So moving on from the tarmac to the grass, football. I mean, oh, it's yes. been a great weekend for all around. In fact, a great week all around. We've had the 
Champions League semi-finals. We now know that it's an all-English final with Manchester City and Chelsea facing off at the end of this month. Uh, we know that Manchester City almost had the trophy, but then let it slip thanks to Chelsea. And well, that just makes the Champions League final far more exciting. United won, Liverpool won. Well, let's just write off the Spurs. Even Arsenal won. You know, everyone's, <laughs> everyone seems to be trying their best to at least delay Man City picking up their fifth title in 10 years. Is that what it's going to be? I think so, yes. They've been so dominant with their system. And when Man City came in with all the Arab money, if I dare say this, they seemed like a team that was splurging cash unnecessarily. But it's more than that, you know. It's more than just the PSG. They have a system in place where they're really developing it quite well. And their buys in the last few seasons have been very astute. So, full credit to them on the way they've handled it. I don't like it because I'm a United fan. But hey, at least we got the win this weekend. So, that's a plus. Well, so let's hope that uh, Pep Guardiola is finally able to offer that missing cherry on top for Man City with the Champions League title. That's hmm. the one that's eluded them no, for a while. No, let's not hope that way. <laughs> uh, for his sake, I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan, so for me, none, none of this is good news. But moving on, there's, there's more leagues around, you know. And yep. one of the most exciting finishes in, in recent years coming up in the La Liga sees three contenders fighting each other. None of them are likely are going to play each other in their remaining three matches. And there's a two-point difference between the top team and the third-place team, which incidentally this time is Barcelona. Can they make it up from here? I think there is a real possibility of a Premier League 2011-2012 finish happening right here. Because Atletico Madrid have a two-point gap over Real and Barcelona. Even though they drawed with Barcelona this week, it was a nil-nil finish in the end. A very intense match with no, no final result going any which ways. But what was interesting was that Real Madrid had a chance to actually create a gap at the top. But they drew with Sevilla last night. That's on Sunday night, that is. 2-2. What a thriller that was. I was watching this and I was smiling from ear to ear. But the major problem with that is now they are two points behind Atletico Madrid and they do not have an extra game to spare. But... There is something interesting. Atletico Madrid have a clutch match with Real Sociedad next week. And Sociedad are in P5. Sevilla were fourth, by the way. And if Sociedad can really go out there and prove like a real thorn in their side, who knows, perhaps Madrid could get that sort of advantage. Or even Barcelona, by the way, who are also tied with Madrid. That could be something so much fun to watch out for. But Madrid have a very tricky match at the final match day of the year because they go ahead with Villarreal. And Villarreal, by the way, are the Europa League finals. So they are not an easy side by any means whatsoever. I think this is going to be a crazy finish to the very end. And literally, I, I cannot predict. But right now, the odds do favour Atletico Madrid and their intense style of play. Let's hope that it stays that way. Because we really, everyone wants a new winner every exactly. now and then, right? And speaking of new winners, I think France is excited. Or should be. <laughs> because for the first time in probably eight years, it's likely that Paris Saint-Germain will not win the title. The last time that they didn't really win it was 2016-17 and that was like a blip in a 10-year run that's been on since 2011. Lille are most likely to win it and I hope I said that name right. I'm no Frenchman. But they are three points clear, two games to go. PSG have had a hiccup over this weekend where they drew a match they were winning. Yep. Uh, never mind the penalty and the controversy around that. But is it possible that PSG won't win the title this year? Very much so. Uh, very much so. We've only got a couple of matches left right now. And for PSG, they need a slip-up and then more from Lille to get the title. The three-point gap is huge, right? It's, it's equivalent to one victory. And I, I think it's very unlikely for them that they go ahead and win the title. So, it just goes to show 
that no team is entitled to play in a European Super League per se. You have to win your titles. You have to earn them. Even though you might be a big brand, you can't just go to the league and take it for granted. And Lille, what a rejuvenated squad. By the way, when they came into the season, no real superstars in the team per se. But what a year has been for them. Absolutely. And it's an interesting point you brought up. And Ayaz, we spoke about this at length on the last episode about the Super League and how money was starting to trump actual play. And I think the way some of these leagues are finishing up and what winning a league means for every team and uh, moving into the Champions League, I think you can't replace it. You can't buy that with money, which is what the Super League was trying to do. Interestingly, uh, Mr. Fantastic and of course, Omid, uh, I just read in the newspapers today or on social media that some of the clubs are now asking in a board meeting for a representative of the fans to be present. Uh, have you heard the same thing? Is that It absolutely does. does I mean, sense? there's been more and more murmurings of this around, especially from clubs that are very deeply rooted in ground-level activities, factory-led clubs, places like Manchester and Liverpool, which were very people's clubs to start with. It's a possibility. It might happen, you know, at a point where the fans are already feeling that they have been literally backstabbed by owners. Well... Somil, it was great having you on the show. Thank you so much. And we will have you back on to discuss how some of these things went. Definitely after the next Formula 1 race. And absolutely for surely by the time we hit the Champions League final. Thanks so much. Likewise. Thank you. But Ayaz, I still want to discuss one more point with you. The Indian squad for the Tour of England has been announced. What do you make of it? Well, I mean, frankly, there are no surprises except a few. <laughs> if I might say that, it sounds like a conundrum. But there's no Prithvi Shaw. He was part of the tour to Australia. There's no Hardik Pandya. You know, when, when the team was in Australia, you might remember that there was talk that he, you know, they're not bowling him then, not asking him to bend his back because they wanted him to be fit and ready for the tour of England. Now, remember, it's not just the World Test Championship that this squad has been announced for. It's also for the England series. So, Hardik Pandya is going to miss out on the England series. And then there is no Kuldeep Yadav. I don't think that has been emphasized or discussed enough because maybe a year, year and a half back, even till the Australian tour, you know, he was seen as one of those bowlers who might win matches for you with his wrist spin and uh, the ability to bowl the wrong one, etc, etc. So, the two regular spinners for India, as I see it, Yuzvendra Chahal in white ball cricket and Kuldeep Yadav, apart from Ashwin and Gadeja, Kuldeep was part of the test squad. He is no longer there. So, there have been upheavals. There is no question about it. And uh, what we've also got interesting is because there is the opportunity now because of the pandemic, because of COVID to take a larger squad to England. We've got standby players who might actually end up becoming frontline players with a little luck. Now, I'll, I'll just name out who these guys are. There's Abhimanyu Iswaran from Bengal. He actually captains Bengal and has been in very good nick. He's been a, a standby earlier also. There is Prasiddha Krishna, the fast bowler from Bengaluru, who actually uh, I mean, plays for Karnataka but represents KKR in the IPL and has been performing splendidly for the past couple of seasons. There's Avesh Khan from Madhya Pradesh and he was a big hit for Delhi Capitals this season. He was number two in the wicket-takers uh, list after uh, Harshal Patel. And then there's Arzan Nagwaswala, who's a Parsi, Zoroastrian. We haven't had too many Zoroastrians play for India in a long, long time. The last one to represent India at the international level was Farooq Engineer, who finished his career in 1974. So, he's not playing for India as yet. He's part of the standbys, Arzan. 
left arm fast bowler bowling about 135 137 but he's got skills that is what one hears prasiddha krishna can ramp up the pace to about 145 he also is not really a late swing bowler like a bhuvneshwar kumar for instance but he can hit the deck hard can get the ball to seam so to avesh khan and avesh khan is one of those who like mohammad siraj can swing the ball as well as seam the ball so three fast bowlers there in this uh, and you can expect that to happen because the team is going to be in england now why did i say that these could be fast tracked into international careers remember what happened in australia there were sudden breakdowns there were injuries and then hey you had didn't have to run around looking for players because they were there so this is a five test series the guys who are in the main squad need to be sure that not only are they fit but they are also in form if not there are backup guys who are willing or ready to take their places and we know what happened uh, when they took their places in australia they went on to win the series a little bit of a question mark kl rahul and riddhiman saha both are in the main squad both subject to fitness i suspect that they will be fit because the team does not leave for england till june second and the world test championship starts from 18th of june well that definitely is a very strong squad it's going to be quite a headache to make sure that the right 11 is picked on the 18th of june and of course a lot of that will come down to the conditions the pitch and the overall mood of the camp just a couple of questions you know around the same thing is rahul dravid has actually picked india as favorites for the england tour he says on current form india is likely to run away with a 3-2 win and do you really think that the english are going to let that happen after what we subjected them to in india just a couple of months ago no i think rahul dravid has faith in the indian team as we should all have because not only did we beat england at home but we beat australia in australia and that after being bowled out for 36 you know at the cost of repetition to come back from that situation they took not just skills and talent but a lot of self belief and gumption and determination so i think rahul dravid is right and remember he's not saying we'll run away with the series he's accounted for the fact that in england england are very difficult to beat so he's putting it at 3-2 which to me actually reflects an extremely well fought series if you got five test matches and all five are results and the margin of you know one team wins by a one test margin that suggests a very very close series so india will be happy that a former captain incidentally rahul dravid's team was the last one to win in england that is 2007 so it's been 14 years since any indian team has won in england that in itself should be incentive for virat kohli and company brilliant we are, we can't wait for that series and before that of course the world test championship finals to happen before i sign off i want to actually pay tribute to some of our sporting legends who have unfortunately succumbed to covid-19 the most recent was the news of ravinder pal singh and mk kaushik both of whom were gold medalists in the moscow olympics as a part of india's hockey team some of the other notable names that have lost the battle to covid-19 include chetan chauhan former football player nikhil nandi who was a part of the 1956 olympics team and shooter chandra tomar there's sadness and gloom all around it's not just about the ipl being suspended but it's also about lives being lost uh, you mentioned a few of them i can just tell you about ravindra pal singh and mk kaushik who i got to know extremely well you know 1980 olympics team last indian team to win a gold medal they are legendary names legendary figures and to see neither kaushik nor ravindra pal singh were very old so this is a disease which is causing havoc and i just hope and pray that uh, the almighty is kind enough to see us through this very difficult passage and i hope that everybody is taking the utmost precaution and leaving nothing to chance 
Absolutely. Let's hope all of our listeners are being safe and following protocol. That's it from me. Thank you once again, Ayaz, for having me on the show. Pleasure as always. I'll be back next week. Mr. Fantastic, you have to be back next week because there's going to be so much to discuss. Yes, cricket may be a little slowed down till we get into June when a lot of engagements will begin. But there's lots of action happening in football, in motor racing and sundry other sports, including tennis. So we're going to catch up on all that. Don't forget to tune in to Sports Weekly next week at the same time. <laughs>